Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Pensacola Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Radio X Pensacola, you're listening to Moto Talk with Emily Elmore, brought to you by the Moto Doll. We're bringing you stories of planes, cars, trucks, and things that go. And along the way, we'll learn about all the incredible humans behind the motors and take the lessons learned on the road in the cockpit and under the hood to smash through our own roadblocks and journey a little more boldly. My guest today is Molly Barrows, former WEAR Channel 3 News anchor, now with Levin Pamentonia Law Firm, and she is one of the speakers at the upcoming Shiro Warrior Conference, hosted by the Monument to Women's Veterans in collaboration with Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast and the Women's Club of Pensacola. This event is in Pensacola March 8th, 9th, and 10th, and will inspire, empower, and ignite all who attend. There are events at Deluna Winery, Pensacola State College, and then the Women's Club of Pensacola, along with a block party on Saturday night. It's going to be a blast, and I am so impressed by the speakers at this event. Molly, first, I need to know a little more about you. What got you into this event, and how do you know the founder, Michelle? You know, Michelle Caldwell and I go back quite a few years. You mentioned when I was an anchor at WAR, I came up through the ranks as a reporter, so I got to know a lot of different people in the community, a lot of different causes that were important to this community, and certainly none more so than veterans. We have such a strong military presence, and Michelle's a veteran herself, and I got to know her through various military events and just her support of veterans in particular and especially women veterans. You know, we talk about so many issues that impact veterans and they are so specific to whether you're somebody with a disability or maybe it's PTSD or maybe it's both, but also women have their own special needs that need to be addressed and I always applauded Michelle for that. So when she told me about the Shiro uh, Warrior Conference, I thought, well, this is perfect. It's so her, first of all, and it's all to raise awareness for the, the World War II Women's Monument and that's something I know has been a passion of hers for so many years. So anything I can do to help her further that cause and it also furthers the cause of women, gives them some one to you know for future women and even women now to look up to you know they can say hey these other gals did it before me and we're recognizing them and maybe I can carry that torch well and that's something that I really love about this conference is that it's not just for women who have served it's really about bringing women from the community together and for somebody like me who's a transitioning veteran I've gone from almost a decade in the military and now I'm a part of the community but you lose the community that you had as they continue on to fulfill their mission and then you're trying to build as an anchor at WAR, it was tough because I'd been there almost 20 years, and but I felt this responsibility towards my daughter, towards my mother, who had been in a nursing home at that time, and uh, so there were just these other obligations that I felt like, um, as much as I'd sacrificed to get where I wanted in my career, and as much as I loved it, I had these other aspects of my life that I loved, and I felt obligated to those as well, that those responsibilities. So when I began to make a new way for myself in the community, I was always going to be ambitious and passionate about raising awareness of different issues. So I, that's how I got into journalism. You know, I'm a, I love to be a victim's advocate, if you will, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, whatever the issue may be. Um, so when I started to find my place in the community with that mission in mind, Levin Papantonio gave me that opportunity at the law firm. But like you, I found that other groups would embrace 
that's, that they were still inspired. It wasn't so much that I was defined by Molly Bear as the newest anchor. I had defined myself by the reputation I had built as someone who could, you know, at least further a cause in the community, would listen and was inspiring in my own way, which is still a surprise to me because I listen to you and I hear your story and how you became a pilot. And that is just so intimidating to me. I can't even imagine math for one is such a stumbling block. I couldn't even imagine the, the, you know, the courses that you took and just understanding physics and all of that. To me, that is amazing. And uh, I can imagine what a, a hole that must have left in your life when you were injured and were unable to pursue that. But you're right. It is about finding that identity that you're not a part so much of um, what you do isn't just all of who you are. That's right. And I'm so glad that you said that because that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about at the event is about how we identify with the things that we do and the jobs that we perform and that when we stop doing those things, even though we were probably always going to stop at some point, especially if we stop sooner than we anticipated, all of a sudden we're trying to determine who we are and why we got into those things to begin with. Yes. What our motivation is and how we can apply it to the next new thing. And so it's really yes. great to hear that you wanting to be, you know, the champion of people who can't be their own. Yes. that too, Emily, because that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, at the conference in, the, in, in my particular, um, what I'm going to talk about that day is how to lead like a girl and to a great extent, I, I know that's an umbrella term, but I think to a great extent, I found it in my own personal journey every day, trying to apply my talents and motivations to new tasks and projects in front of me. Um, but also I, I, I want other women to take that away as well, that it's, it is about embracing those things that um, are, are different about you. That is how you lead like a girl. You don't have to be a man. And I remember coming up in journalism, um, and this is, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a generation X or so. I was, uh, I graduated from high school in 91, graduated from college in 96. So when I entered the broadcast journalism world, it was short hair, no dangly earrings. And I don't know if you remember shoulder pads, but girl, those were rough. <laughs> and so we would still have the remnants of their shoulder pads from the 80s and so it was this very masculine look all the way around and, uh, and and there's nothing wrong with that but just it was more than just the look they wanted you to carry yourself and there is a there is value to that when you're working in a professional environment so that everybody is behaving professionally but I think the things that women also bring to the table are good ideas creativity uh, just a truckload of empathy which is tremendously valuable in, a, in, a, in an art like journalism if you will or a craft, um, but you know, just like women also have math skills like you, that I have none. Other women to know that you don't have to second guess yourself, that you can embrace those qualities because they make you a better, more effective leader, I think, in whatever your passion that is that you're pursuing, whatever dream that it is you have. Yeah, no, that's really great. The idea is that you should be authentic to yourself. Yes. When you start to, so if you happen to have masculine or what are considered traditionally masculine traits, right. that's fine if you're being authentic to yourself. Correct. But that you shouldn't feel obligated to emulate those and then to lead others around those because if it isn't authentic, you're going to be able to see right through it and it's going to be challenging to lead those around you. Exactly. And then I think um, women may feel fearful about speaking up if they're in a, a, an environment that's um, predominantly male or even if it's not predominantly male, if it's people that 
only just a set amount of people are going to lead and it's what we say goes. I think there, women bring an air of collaboration because, well, everyone who comes from a different walk of life brings a different perspective to whether it's a story or whether it's a working situation. And so I want people to feel emboldened, especially women to speak up because I think so often that comes easy for guys. You know, they're like, they, they, they intrinsically seem to know their value or at least do a better job of conveying that, you know, coming across that way. Nobody, nobody's perfect in that regard, but, um, you know, nobody's full of self-confidence, even if they seem like it. Everybody struggles with those things. But I think women in particular, they have a little tough time wanting to speak up and say, well, here's my idea in a situation, or here's what I want to bring to the table, or I don't necessarily agree with that. So I just want people to feel empowered that, you know, on, on the higher scale, yes, embrace yourself, embrace those things that are unique about you. It's going to make you a, a more valuable employee, also make you happier, hopefully, in your, you know, creative life. Um, but, you know, just know that whatever it is that you bring to the table is going to be able to, um, it, it's part of what makes you valuable as well. And feel free to be proud of that. Oh, man, I don't think there's any better way that you could have said that. This is going to be a really great event. I don't know about you. I'm super pumped to go to this event. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Molly's going to be there on Saturday morning, so make sure that you come out, that you hear all of this good stuff, empowerment, leadership, authenticity, everything that's going to make you feel that you are valued. You already have that value part of you. This is just going to help you to maybe find it in ways that you were undervalued before. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Identifying your talents and being feel free, feeling free to, to pursue those and take advantage of them. I don't know about you, I actually watched the Oscars a little bit last night. Oh, I didn't get a chance to. You're no. so smart and brave, but <laughs> I, I, I got sucked into it because my husband's a big fan and then uh, my daughter as well, but I will say that there was a, you know, Lady Gaga had won a, a, an Academy for the song that she performed and she was saying, hey, for those of you that are sitting home on the couch and appreciating this, just know it's hard work. And I would encourage you to pursue your dream and know you're going to have to work hard for it. So I think that's it to a great extent. I think everybody has it in them. You just got to find that dream and be willing to do what it takes to, to go after it. That's right. And one of those things is being willing to try even when people tell you that it can't be done. Yes, especially yeah. when they tell you it can't be done. Yep. That just means it's making you stronger for when you get there. Yes. Yeah, just to try and do it anyway. All right. So, of course, like I said to you the other day, Motodal likes to talk a little bit about um, – favorite motor stories in order to know more about the people that we talk with. So for me, the reason that came about was because I used to be uh, really heavily invested inside of, I would say, motor things, self-confessed motorhead uh, as an Air Force pilot. And then also I've had a lot of different vehicles that I'd like to uh, you know, race against my friends. And I uh, did a lot of fun stuff with that in college and I used to work on cars. And then all of a sudden I lost use of my right arm and I couldn't do any of it. And your community first rallied around you right, as a good community does, and then as the months roll on, and then as the years roll on, and you can't come back, or at best you can only be a spectator, it's hard to grow those relationships. And I found that I also didn't want to feel like a burden on those mm -hmm. communities, and so I just, you know, kind of exit stage right and, and left them. And, um, you know, it was definitely a additional hole, right, as I was trying to determine who I am and what I'm all about, and then just walking away from those, those people in those communities was really hard. And yes. so... This is kind of my way of jumping back in, right? Trying to find out uh, all about people and, and community was the best part of, you know, planes and cars and all of these things. And so trying to make it more of even a bigger tent, you know, than it was and finding out. Yes. Yeah, because everybody has a car story. Yes, yeah. you're right. Everybody does. You know, something funny from, you know, <laughs> 
parking as a teenager to going and uh, you know going on a road trip, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Or working on cars, you know, with a mom or a dad whenever you were a kid, or maybe it's you know some favorite car that your grandpa always had, mm -hmm. you know, and you remember sitting in that. So I always like to find out a little more about people by asking them. What's the most memorable car, plane, motor story that you have? You know, I, I it's funny. I have several, and I'm sitting there running through my Rolodex because you'd asked me this before, and I'd settled on one, but then listening to you talk, I had all these others pop into my head, which right, yeah. goes to show what a great interviewer you are, by the way. But yeah, it, so <laughs> I, I had a couple, but I think the first one that pops into my head was I remember as a little girl, and I had to be under five, my dad had a white Mustang, and it was like a 19 late 1960s Mustang, and I just remember I had this big... So this shows you how non you know mechanical I am, but it had some kind of big silver <laughs> thing on the hood where there had been damage or maybe rust, and he had just done some you know non aesthetically pleasing repair job. But he got ready to sell it when we were moving, and I remember just being broken hearted about it. And I thought, why are you selling this Mustang? It's just the coolest car that we've got. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he said, no, it's got to go. And I felt like it was a member of the family, and I have no idea why I felt that way, but. It was a really good-looking car. It was cute, even if with its little silver spot on the hood. That's right. It's just uh, it becomes endearing at that point. Right? It was it's like a little spot that you just kind of rub and say, "Hey, buddy, how you doing?" It had unique personality. It I think did. I could tell he really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was different. My friends would come over, like, "Ooh, cool car!" Yeah, you there's know? something about those old cars. They have that personality. It's almost like they absorb a little bit of all of the owners yes. over the years. And then when you're in there, when you're sitting there, especially those older cars, because you have to be a little more engaged. There's very few automatics you know yeah time frame and so especially like if they're a lot older you've got you know carburetors and chokes and this entire system that you have to you know like prime it up before you can even get it started and so it really is this relationship that you have to build with your car and then when it doesn't want to start you're like come on you know, like you're talking to it. Like, I know, so, I know. know. You're right. But, yeah, that you're like trying to encourage. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that late 60s Mustang. My grandfather had a 65 Mustang. So it was actually 64 oh, wow. and a half. Yep. So uh, it was the very first, like one of the very first ones that came out, original 289 performance engine. Wow. That's oh, yeah. Impressive. So when you see it, it was very, very cool. And he kept it all stock and he won a bunch of awards for it. Um, when my grandfather passed, it went to my dad. And I remember my brother that he was going to get it, but he didn't like to work on cars as much as I like to work on cars. Wow. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, no, you are not. I'm campaigning in the family. Yeah, I'm going to be getting this car. <laughs> you know, it was like, absolutely not. This was our car. You know, it's like this is a car that my grandfather helped teach yes. me to drive in, right? So it's funny that you say that because I, I also really just remember all these little details about that car. Like it was, you know, like a, a friend or a you know, some kind of member of the family. Yes, and they all did. I mean, I remember, I think we went through quite a few cars over the years. Um, I, I remember my mom got a, an inheritance once when, when one of her uncles passed in the 80s, and we got one of those new Toyota vans that had, like, the cutoff. looked like they, you know, <laughs> the engine was in the back or so. I don't know where the engine was, but it looked like it wasn't in the <laughs> traditional place. Um, we, we had a Dodge one time that they got, and it had an 8-track player in it. And even it was even the A track was outdated then, I think. But I thought it was the coolest thing ever until there was like a monoxide leak in the back seat. Oh, no. You know? So but I, I would think on the other there are quite I didn't realize so I thought about how many um, cars, planes, trains, and automobiles I have. I've never ridden a train, although I would love to. That's actually on my bucket list. I want to ride a train. Um, but on the plane front, I have 
I rode with the Blue Angels oh. when I was 27, which was blah, blah, blah years ago. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But it was amazing, and everybody asked me about it who's local and remembers that I flew. But I will say that my very favorite plane story was when I rode with the Toyota stunt guy. Oh. It was part of the same air show. Um, I don't think I re- actually I flew with the Blues uh, a couple years after this stunt plane. But when I flew with the stunt plane, it was almost like that Snoopy Red Baron plane. Yeah. You know, and, yep. and you're open, but there's like a little plexiglass. I'm sure it's not plexiglass, but there's some sort of clear see-through thing yeah. that goes over you. It was so rad. And the reason I felt it, I felt the excitement. I could feel the wind. I felt like I was part of the plane. Yeah. When you're in the Blue Angels, I mean, you're breaking the sound barrier, but it feels exactly like not breaking the sound barrier, <laughs> right. you know? And it's, don't get me wrong, it's amazing and it's cool and I loved it, but I got a little nauseous <laughs> and I didn't get nauseous in the snow plane because I think I was too busy screaming and thinking about my life laughing. <laughs> no, no, I really wasn't fearful, but it was just fun. And the pilot's right there and just like he is in the, in the jet, but it was just a different experience. And then there was another bigger plane, actually, when I was in the stunt plane, where the photographer that I was working with that day was shooting out of the side. Yeah, yeah. So you still feel like there's company. Right. You know, whereas it's just a more, um, uh, you're in a capsule in that, that Blue Angels hornet. So, so you're basically on the end of a bullet. Yes. Yep. And it's hard to enjoy your surroundings when you're on a bullet. <laughs> yeah. But it's super cool. I mean, it's a blessing that I got to do both of those things. But people would always ask me about that. I was like, you know, but that stunt plane, man, that was pretty, that was amazing. Right. And it's kind of the same thing we were just talking about with those cars. It's a little simpler machine, but all of a sudden you're like part of it, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a cool experience. Yeah. And I did. I, and it made me think about, like I said, all the Snoopy Red Baron cartoons <laughs> yeah. and, and just how, and it also made me think about going back to the veterans cause um you know raising awareness and support for the women's memorial it did make me think about what it was like to be an aerial combat fighter back in world war ii because i, I think and I, and I am no expert but <laughs> didn't pilots like have a pretty short didn't they, they weren't expected to live long back in the day yeah no that's true um you know and still military aviation is um you know one of the most dangerous professions that you can wow. be in so, i can see that yeah i think it's it's Hovers around number three, I think, uh, you know, Deadliest Catch, those guys are usually number one. (laughs) Right. It's a cool show. Yeah. Um, So, you know, of course, your passenger jets are very, very safe. So anyone who's listening to this and saying, oh, my gosh, how dangerous, Uh, very, very safe for your passenger jets. It's just the nature of the mission for uh, military airplanes. Exactly. We're right on the edge of our flight envelopes, which just means that, um, you know, we're really pushing the bounds of what those airplanes were built to achieve. And so when you do that, there are times when, uh, you know, you will exceed it and then... uh, Unfortunately, sometimes you can't bring it back. Right. Yep. Um, so that was definitely true, you know, in the beginning because there were a lot of rules that just hadn't been in place yet. It's like, hey, can I do this? And they were like, still exploring, <laughs> testing yeah. the limits. That's right. And so they were trying to figure out where those limits were and how they could be manipulated in order to affect outcomes. Wow. Which, you know, these people had no idea how it was going to end up. Trial and error. And they were incredible stories. Yes. You know? So you're talking about like that Red Bear and there's yes. like that time frame. There's stories when the engines would quit, but there were propeller engines, and so they would go out and they would literally kickstart. So that word kickstart actually comes from these guys coming out wow. and like kicking right the propeller, and then it would restart while they're in the air. Oh, I'd be kicking oh, yeah. my leg off. Yeah, and then you know, and then being able to continue to go, like all the aerobatics that you were practicing doing, they yes. were actually using them 
not so much for you know air shows, but to try to you know spin down through clouds to get down quicker in order to try to take out the enemy. Wow, and no. that, that's amazing. And that's what I thought about. I thought that's why these guys didn't yeah. live long when they were trying to fight someone because you're so exposed. I mean, yeah. you might as well just be paragliding in some cases, oh, as far yeah. as like modern day weaponry, if you've got bullets being shot at you. But you're right; it does almost have more of a hand to hand combat feel, right? You know, plane to plane combat as opposed to these jets, which are just streaking by each other and it's much more distant it's not as personal yeah especially with like the newer generation they can you know engage from much further away um fortunately for us we haven't had to do much of that uh near right. fighting and uh, hopefully we won't have any of that in any near time future but uh, we definitely have some cool capabilities both with those older aircraft and with the newer aircraft so it's really awesome that you got to be a part of really kind of both styles yeah i really enjoyed it and then just being you know going down to the naval aviation museum and doing numerous reports there and just meeting veterans over the years from so many different wars and conflicts so you got to hear from them and one of my parents good friends is a vietnam helicopter pilot and they come to fort walton beach twice a year to you know have a, a reunion and uh, my family was always close with theirs, so we would go and meet a lot of their friends and so you just hear all these stories from all these different generations and you realize they all had their own challenges and their own way of conquering and bonding with their modern day equipment. It's really, it, I can see why it has personalities. I can see why they give them names and, yep. you know, it becomes a part of your job. It does. Yeah. And your family, really, your job family. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, we are so excited to have you a part of this uh, inaugural event, the Shiro Warrior Conference. It is the first annual. Uh, please come out. It's for leadership and empowerment. We were talking a lot about partnerships earlier, right? Yes. So this isn't just for women who are in the military or who are transitioning out of the military or who have been longtime veterans. It's for everyone. So please come out, enjoy it. Um, you know, women especially, this is your conference, but we wouldn't be able to develop as leaders and partners and friends and mentors ourselves without those partnerships that we have with um, our male counterparts. So please, if you're a guy, don't feel that you are being left out of this event. Also come out, support your Shiro's. Uh, we want to see you there. So again, that's going to be March 8th, 9th, and 10th. Molly, thank you so much for spending the morning with me. Oh, thank you, Emily. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to hearing you speak as well. For those that are interested in coming, Emily is an amazing person and her story is amazing and inspiring, no matter what walk of life you are. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Pensacola, or you can find us on Instagram at Pensacola Business Radio, or on our websites at businessradiox.com, or on our live feed at businessradiox.live. If you are interested in being a guest on Business Radio X, please visit either one of our sites or our social media sites to find a link to book your appearance. This has been Pensacola Business Radio, where business is good and your work matters.